0: Hey, Bills Mafia, we know there's only one topic every day, all Bills all the time. And now Matt Bove and Sal Capaccio are going really deep, talking Bills all year long, because it's always game day in
1: Buffalo. Well, the Bills got back to work preparing for what is an absolutely monstrous AFC game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Monday night, Monday night football. And of course, on Channel 7 in Buffalo, hey. where Matt Bovee joins me, Sal Capaccio here, and it's always game day in Buffalo. It's going to be a big game day for you guys on Monday, Matt. Uh, going to be cool for you guys to have this on your network, a absolutely huge game for both the Bills and the Bengals.
0: Yeah. I don't want to be the guy who like blows things out of proportion, but it might be the biggest football game that's ever been played and it's on channel seven. But no, I actually saw a couple tweets from people who were like, this might be the biggest Monday to football game in years. And a couple of the other games that got brought up were the chiefs and Rams game from a couple years ago where they just kind of went nuts offensively, but that was a cross conference game. That really didn't matter that much. This one is a match. Up of two great teams fighting for the one seed that are legitimate Super Bowl contenders, and they have two of the best three quarterbacks in the NFL with Burrow and with Allen. So, I think that like this one, when the schedule came out and you looked at this game, you're like, man, that one could be huge. Then the Bengals start a little slow, they lose their first couple games, and you're like, eh, maybe not. Maybe they're fighting to keep their playoff hopes alive now. These two teams have one clear goal in mind and it's not as simple as whoever wins gets the one seed, but for the bills, it's pretty close. And for the Bengals, you're giving
1: yourself a chance. Yeah. So on WGR and the extra point show that I host with Joe DiBiase on Thursday, we had a Bengals beat writer, Charlie Goldsmith join us. He writes for the inquirer and he said, this is the biggest home game, not just Monday night game, not night game, the biggest home game, regular season home game ever at Paul Brown Stadium, which is now, what, PayCon, Paycor? How do you say it? PayCore Stadium, maybe?
0: I still have been putting in Paul Brown Stadium on okay. Google
1: Maps when I'm there trying to go. figure out how I got to exactly. get to the stadium on uh, Monday. <laughs> he said it's the biggest home game, regular season home game, in that stadium's history. At least some are calling it that. And then I thought about it, and I said, well, as much as that might sound exaggerating, if we reversed it, it could definitely be up there for the Bills, even. It's one of the biggest regular season road games in Bills history, for sure. Yeah, I had a really cool opportunity.
0: I actually chatted with Joe Buck earlier today from ESPN. Game dropper. No big deal. And he's calling the game for Monday Night Football. And I kind of brought the same thing up to him. And I was just like, listen, there are people who are saying that this is one of the biggest Monday Night Football games ever. And he basically said you have to get up for every game when you do his job, because, you know, for all, you know, these people are only watching one game and they're not tuning in every single week. But he's like, when the schedule came out and we saw that game, we kind of circled it and we're like, Whoa, this one could be good. And everything has kind of worked itself out to get to that point where it's even maybe the expectations are even greater than they were when the schedule came out all the way back in may or whatever it was. So I think from the national perspective, This is pretty big. And also, so Joe Buck's calling the game with Troy Aikman. I asked him, I can't think of another Bills game that Joe Buck has called. Now, obviously we're doing, we're in the press box. You're on the field. So we're not watching a lot of games on television. And he said the only Bills game that he can remember off of the top of his head calling was the Bills Chiefs game in 2020 because it was moved from Thursday to Monday at five o'clock. But it was an empty stadium. It was a COVID game. It was really, really rainy that day. So it was a really weird atmosphere. So he was like, yeah, I've never really called a big-time Bills game. And this is going to be about as big as they get in the regular season.
1: That's wild. I got to think he definitely had to call a bills game somewhere along the line.
0: Well, I'm, sh- one. I'm sure maybe or he, two, ha-
1: <laughs> I'm sure maybe he has, but keep in mind, he was primarily NFC. So I know. And if- and if I remember right, we did this exercise, you know, um, Mike show is big into this too, with announcers and things like that. If I remember right, there was like an NFC team that came to Buffalo and he did, it might've been Dallas or green Bay or something like that back years ago.
0: Oh, that makes sense. He, but the fact that he couldn't think of it off the top of his head, that's a great point means that probably most people couldn't, he probably has, but as far as, you know, I I don't think he's ever called a playoff game for the bills. And as far as regular season games are concerned, this is certainly the biggest bills game that he will be part of the call on. So it's, I think I've always kind of said this. I think when you hear Joe Buck's voice, there's like a big game feel. It's just when he's in the booth, Whether it's baseball or it's football, it's a really big game. Whether you love them, whether you don't like them, there's a big feel that comes with Joe Buck. So having the Bills, and keep in mind, second Monday Night Football game for the year for the Bills, but their first one was week two, and it was a doubleheader, and Buck and Aikman called the Vikings-Eagles. Good call. Yes, and the Bills you know, dismantled the
1: Titans, who are frauds, by the way. <laughs> right, and that's that's great because people are thinking, wait a minute, no, 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 it can't be because they do Monday Night Football. The Bills have been on Monday Night Football this year. They didn't have that announcing crew. They had um, Steve was- Lee, Dan Orlovsky, and Lewis Riddick in that yep. game. Yeah, which is that a was- r- really solid crew in itself. Yeah, yeah. So that's why it hasn't happened. But it is a very big game in Cincinnati. Bills got back to work on Thursday, which was like a normal Wednesday for the media, if you will. Like Wednesday's like the big media day where we hear from Josh Allen and other people, because with the game on being Thursday, that makes sense. It's just uh, everything gets pushed up a day, if you will, or back, I guess you'd say, whatever you want to call it. Um, I will tell you, Matt, the Bills are, as you would expect, they're very recognizing of what this game means but they're not putting more emphasis on it. Right. And it's not like, yeah, we got to win this game to win the one seed. That's not the talk. It's yeah, we know what this game means, but it's also the next game on the schedule. And I think they do approach every week like that. And if anybody says, Oh, come on, you know, they're downplaying it. I would say, I don't think so. I think this is just the consistency and the messaging of Sean McDermott and the way they've been for five years.
0: I think it's always kind of, Tried to be that way. And there are weeks when I think that's kind of lip service. And there are weeks when I actually truly believe it. And I feel like this is one of those weeks where I truly believe it. Even though I understand the magnitude of the game, I think they are doing everything in their power not to think about that. I think it's counterintuitive if you do that. I understand what's at stake, what's on the line. I don't think they want to think of it that way. I think they just want to think of it as like, listen, we got a really good team. We got to play. This is a tough opponent. Let's go in there and throw punches because we like our chances. So I know people roll their eyes when they hear, oh, I don't even know who we're playing next week. Like they always know who they're playing next week. That being said, though, I think they're just trying to think about this one right now.
1: Well, one of the things they'll be thinking about that they'll be very happy about is getting Mitch Morse back. Their starting center was back at practice on Thursday, and he has been through the concussion protocol. He's cleared concussion protocol. He was concussed during the team's win against the Miami Dolphins. He missed the win against the Chicago bears. There was a lot of speculation, a lot of talk and a lot of concern, quite frankly, over Mitch Morse. This is his, mm-hmm. I believe what Eric Wood said was his sixth documented concussion. I'm not positive on that. He's had multiple. We know that it's at least like four or five somewhere along like, like that. But the, the point is it's been a lot. And it's something that obviously you'd be concerned about for Mitch Morris. But I have to tell you that talking with Mitch Morris and hearing him talk, he, sounded very, very confident that, um, you know, he's in a good spot with it and how it was treated and how that uh, the medical staff and him coordinated and communicated and for the bills to get him back is very good news. I understand people being concerned, Matt, but I also say we're not doctors. I'm not, you're not. And if the bills medical staff and Mitch Morris all, you know, go through the process and say he's ready to play and can go out on the field, then I'm going to trust that that's the best choice for him.
0: Yeah, and I think that given, how I don't want to say fast it happened, but I think that's a really promising sign that last week was the shutdown week where, hey, don't even really think about trying to get back here. I'm sure he wanted to, but the team was probably just like, listen, take it slow. We'll get you back when you're legitimately ready. Mm-hmm. And now that we're a week past that and they had that extra day off or actually it would be an extra two days off because they played on Saturday. I think that that's a great sign for them because Mitch Morris, you could argue has been the most valuable offensive lineman for the entire season. My question to you is with Mitch Morris back, what do you think their starting five should be? Do you think it should be the starting five they've had for most of the year when healthy, or do you think Butker should get maybe some play? Do you think like, what are you thinking here?
1: I'm not ready to put Ike Bucker in the starting lineup. I don't know what necessarily he's ready to give you uh, from a standpoint of just being his second game back and not playing a lot in his first game. I like the fact that, you know, Roger Saffold's been the guy that's been there and a running attack. Now that's doing really well. They're the number one rushing attack in the NFL. As far as yards per player concerned, they're number four, I think overall in the NFL uh, yards per game. I would probably be able to Entertain the thought at least that maybe there's an upgrade there at some point, but I'm not sure you, I'm not sure that that's the case necessarily. I want to see Ike Butker play. I want to see him be able to do that. And I'm not ready, I guess a lot of fans are, just to say that Roger Saffold's a guy that needs to be replaced. I know some people think that. I'm not quite sure. I I think there's a lot that goes into that. I think there's a lot that probably we don't see. And I think they're running the ball so well now that I wouldn't want to mess with that.
0: I tend to agree with you. And it's something that I've seen a couple of people talk about on social media and just kind of out and about. And I think that given the magnitude of this game, even though we just talked about how it's just the next game and given the point in the season that they're at, I don't think now is the time to be trying to get some new chemistry built and trying to tweak some things. If it doesn't need to like if injuries force you to do that, that's one thing, but that's not the case right now. So the bills should be able to roll out their starting five offensive linemen with Dion Dawkins, with Roger Saffold, Mitch Morse, assuming he's ready to go, Ryan Bates, and then Spencer Brown. But it's also really nice for them to have Ike Bucker just kind of available and as Mr. Versatile for really any of their interior guys to go down.
1: I would say that, you know, Ryan Bates played really well last week. He's played well when he's filled in. Um, when you get past that and something happens to him and Greg Van Roten has to go in, that's when trouble starts. And that's not a shot at Greg Van Roten. I think that for him to be an interior swing guy, to be able to play multiple positions is great, but you are limited in your playbook. When you get to your third center, you can't really go under center. We've seen that you have to go more from shotgun Mm -hmm. and you know, it obviously helps to have a guy like Ike Butker who can fill in and play multiple roles as well. But Mitch Morris is back. Um interesting Sean McDermott said that Boogie Basham wouldn't practice and then Boogie Basham practiced. So he was out there and he was uh practicing so that's interesting. That's uh good news going forward. But then you have a couple of guys that are out, including Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs had an illness. He missed practice on Thursday. Now of course, we say this hoping Stefan Diggs is totally fine and he'll be back to practice on Friday and play, but there was a lot of joking about the fact huh. that he actually was on social media saying he was making himself dinner and cooking tacos, I believe. And then he was sick right after that.
0: Maybe he didn't cook the meat enough. Maybe there's like a hint of food poisoning going on. I I hope it's nothing too serious, obviously for his sake. I feel like everybody I know is sick right now. Everybody. So we have this crazy once in a live, once in a lifetime devastating blizzard a couple of days ago and now everybody I know is sick they're posting about that they're drinking emergency and they're trying to have elderberry and they're just chugging Pedialyte and Gatorade I I don't know if it's just this time of year I don't know if it's that everybody was cooped up in their house for several days and they couldn't get outside and they didn't get any sunlight I, I don't I don't know what it is but I feel like there's a lot of bugs going around and maybe it's just kind of something like that.
1: Well, hopefully step on Diggs is okay. Jordan Poyer also missed with a knee injury, something he's been dealing with. I don't think that that's anything to be too concerned with this earlier in the week uh, with Jordan Poyer. And then you had uh Christian Benford was an interesting one. He is, he's been out, but he was activated. Shouldn't say that he was his 21 day window opened to be activated. Yeah. We'll have until January 18th. And obviously that's down the road in the playoffs with Matt. I wouldn't be stunned if Christian Benford played this week against this particular opponent that has so many weapons that the Bills are going to want as much depth as possible in the secondary.
0: If he's ready to go, then I think that they should try and have him go, just because you have three stud like Jamar Chase. I'm willing to say, you know, pretty confidently, top five receiver in the NFL, and I understand the company that that puts him in. He's unbelievable. T Higgins it might be top fifteen. He's really good. He's got a skill set that could provide nightmares for the bill's defense and you can't sleep on tyler boyd at all so yeah i think having christian benford kind of ready to go we talked about it christian benford might be their second best option right now behind Tredavious white maybe it's Kyir elam maybe they still trust dane jackson a little bit more but there
1: was a reason benford was playing as much as he was until he got injured we're going to talk more about the Bengals and the bills With Joe Goodberry, Joe is a Western New York resident, but he's been following and writing about and doing a lot of media stuff covering the Bengals uh, over the years. A lot of you might be familiar with him. He's going to join us next, and it's always game day in Buffalo.
0: All right, welcome back, everybody. We are joined by Joe Goodberry now to the podcast. Hey, this makes sense. You live in Western New York, you know everything about the Bengals. You can see his work every Tuesday on YouTube. If you want to get caught up on the Bengals from weeks past or for this week, Bengals on the brain. And what else? You get you're all over the place, Joe.
2: I am all over the place. I've done a lot before, podcasts and writing. Was with the Athletic. I host Locked On Bengals for a long time. Uh, I gave up a lot of that and just did my own thing for the last couple years now. But yeah, I. We'll talk every team, and I, I try to keep current on every team because I started my, you know, uh, draft or my football work doing the NFL draft. So I still stay current on everyone. Very Before cool.
1: we get into this year and the Bengals in this game, let's rewind. What was last year like for you, man? What was last year like to see this team go on that journey and get to the Super Bowl?
2: It's interesting because I thought they'd be good, and not a lot of people did. And I remember the over under being six and a half, and I just kept looking at it like, I just can't you know, I just don't understand how it can be like that. And maybe it's because of my draft background where I was, I saw the prospects they've drafted the last few years. And I saw Joe Burrow and the grades I had on him. I'm like, I think Joe Burrow is going to be a top five type guy. If he is, how aren't you a good team? We've seen enough football around here. If you have the right guy at quarterback and I thought Jamar Chase would be a number one. I thought Logan Willis would be a good linebacker. Jermaine pratt I mean, all these, they were all coming up together And if they were to hit, I was like, this team should be okay. Now, I didn't know they'd go to the Super Bowl. I thought 10 wins, maybe you're competing for a division, maybe you're competing for a wild-card spot. Uh, We'll see how it goes, if they can stay healthy. And they did stay healthy. And they found a way to do it with a bad offensive line and got really close. They got within probably protection for another half a second to Joe Burrow hitting Jamar Chase down the sideline as Jalen Ramsey's eating dirt. But it didn't happen, and and we know it's hard to get back. And it's been a fun year. It's been a really interesting year of what do what does regression look like the offseason now? This offseason was, what does regression, what would it look like? Would we even recognize it? And so that's been, I guess that story is still being told. But, uh, you know, here we are, and they're, they're in position to do what they did last year. Have they regressed? No, they've gotten better. Right. They've gotten better in every way. They got more consistent. They were living off the deep ball. They're living off chunk plays last year, and it didn't look sustainable, especially if the offensive line was going to remain poor. They had a lot of things break their way. It, last year, but and a lot, they've overcome a lot of challenges too. To you can't just hit deep balls all the time, get sacked seventy times, and make it to the Super Bowl. That's weird. So I think people looked at it like, well, that's not going to happen again. Well, you're right. But if they took another step as an offense with a lot of young talent and become more consistent, and figured out the in betweens, there's a, a good chance they were a better offense. And I think that's what we're looking at.
0: One of the things that I feel like so many people talked about and rightfully so last year was the offensive line and what it was, what it was, it was holding them back to an extent. And there was so much of a focus on that this off season. Has that revamped line lived up to the expectations or has that still been an area that's a bit inconsistent for them?
2: It's still inconsistent. I wouldn't say expectations because those were all over the map. I think when you replace four out of five starters, people probably got a little too excited of, oh man, this is going to be, if they can at least be 16th in the league, this offense is going to be unstoppable. They're probably still in the bottom 10, but you've got a rookie left guard from North Dakota state was a fourth round pick. How, what should your expectations be? Probably just keep your head above water and we'll be happy there. Uh, But Ted Karras at center has been really good free agent pickup. Alex Kappa at right guard, really good free agent pickup. Now they're not world beaters, but they're way better than what you had last year. The hard part now is Leo Collins, who was a free agent signing at right tackle, towards ACL MCL last week against the Patriots. I don't know who's replacing him because last week it was Hakeem Adenigi, a former fifth round pick who they developed for the last three years. He played 800 snaps last year at right guard. He finished the game last week. But man, Zach Taylor made some interesting comments today at his presser. It sounds like they're going to bring up a practice squad guy, Isaiah Prince, who was injured to start the year. They snuck him on the practice squad halfway through the season. He was the one who played right tackle for them after Riley Reef went down last year and they were able to make it through the playoffs with him. I think they feel more comfortable with his strength and length, especially this week against Gregory Rousseau. I wouldn't be surprised if he's the call up and start for Monday. Mm, That's
1: really interesting. Well, they still, though, even though I know that they've done a better job in their area, it feels like some of the talk this year was. Hey, if you could protect Burrow just a little bit better. So how much better has it been for the protection of Joe Burrow this year? Has it been leaps and bounds from last year is you know what? They've gotten it enough. They still have to take another step.
2: They're better, but it's hard to fully quantify because I still believe that sacks and pressure are very dependent on the quarterback. And some quarterbacks are going to invite pressure. Some quarterbacks are going to take sacks. Some guys are just going to take more hits than others. Joe Burrow is like that, but he's gotten so much smarter with it, or at least knows when, if it's third and 15 and I got to make a play, that's okay to take a sack rather than just throw the ball away, right? Would you make a play, try and get something to have something happen? Maybe it breaks where it doesn't, or if it's second and 10, you can't take a sack because you don't want third and 15. And that's when he is getting rid of the ball, taking the check down and say, fine, here, mix and pick up five yards, pick up four yards for me. Uh, And so he's gotten smarter. It's actually, if you just looked at the last six weeks or so, they're near the bottom of the league in sacks but he's still getting pressured at a decent clip. The Bengals are a very fast-paced passing offense, so they don't let pressure get to Burrow on a majority of their snaps. But when it's time to throw, he will get pressured. His timing has been immaculate lately. And knowing when, okay, one read, two read, get the ball to check down. He's getting rid right of it as he's getting it or as he's getting pressured. So the sacks are lower slightly as the, a as the total this year. But over the last six weeks or so, or last seven, as they've been on this stretch, they're much lower.
0: Everybody is going to talk about, and rightfully so in this game, they're going to talk about Josh Allen and they're going to talk about Joe Burrow. We said at the beginning of the podcast, for my money, they're two of the three best quarterbacks in the NFL, and they're both super young and they're ascending. Like these are the guys you want to build your team around, but knowing what you know about the Bengals, and then obviously having the proximity that you have to the bills and to Buffalo, what are the X factors in this game that you see from the Bengals side? Is there something that you think could be a big mismatch in the Bengals' favor, or is there something you could think of that might be a big, Mismatch in the Bills' favor.
2: The one I was initially pointing to was Gregory Rousseau versus Hakeem Adeniji. If he was playing at right tackle, because Adeniji's 6'4, 305. If he gets to start, his struggle has been power. Whereas if it's Isaiah Prince, he's heavier, he's got 35 and a half inch arms, he can deal with the length a little bit more. Rousseau, I still think the underrated player for the Bengals, when we look at Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon. I mean, they have stars on offense. I think defense is a little bit underrated. It's DJ Reader at nose tackle. I think he's having an All-Pro year. One of the top, probably three nose tackles in the NFL. He makes it very hard to run against. The Bills have been running a lot more lately, and you know, almost at a 50-50 split in neutral situations. I commend them for that because I think James Cook has looked really good. I think if he's you know takes another step into this postseason, that could be something you can ride a little bit. I think Devin Singletary had a great week last week, but it's hard to run against DJ Reader in the Bengals defense. I think they're very similar teams overall. They're going to be a shotgun, pass-happy offense, designed to run their quarterback strengths, quick passing until they need to create and make a play. And on defense, they're going to stay in their nickel no matter what happens. Both teams are going to do that, and they're very efficient in that. Uh, I I think where the edge could be is Allen is an X factor in in, as his own right if he takes off and runs if he muscles through guys he creates a spark for the entire team and for the entire offense I think that's hard to game plan for I think it's hard to defend the Bengals have done a good job or at least I should say they have a lot of experience against mobile quarterbacks not just Lamar Jackson in their division Deshaun Watson as well they, they played him once this year but Pat Mahomes also they yeah. do a good job containing we need to see if Sam Hubbard's going to play, because that's like their contained guy at defensive end. He had a calf issue he missed last week. For, originally, they are saying week to week. We were thinking two to four weeks. He practiced on a limited basis today. I think there's a chance he could play. Zach Taylor uh, upgraded him to day to day. If he does play, that really helps their contain up front. And the Bengals will drop more guys in the coverage. Lou Anarumo really is a a very good defensive coordinator for the Bengals. He's going to take away what you do best. And then he's going to pull a string when you don't expect it and give you something you haven't seen all year, once or twice in a game, probably on a third or fourth down just enough. And it's confused enough quarterbacks over the last year and a half that it's like, man, it, he's the guy right now that if you want to know what weakness Allen has, he's probably going to exploit it or call it.
1: I'm a big reader fan too. I agree. He's played right. And the bills, you know, they had trouble with him when he played for Houston in that yeah. one, uh, playoff game just a few they years did. ago, you know, and, and and I think typically those bigger interior linemen are the ones that hurt the bills um, because they're built more athletically up front. They're mm-hmm. not built to really be a, a, a pounding team and Mitch Morris, a great center, but he's an athletic center. You know, he's not a guy that's really built to handle guys like that. One more question on that side of the ball. And I want to get to the other side. Um, you say they're going to take away what you do best. All right. What if the Bills say? What we do best is throw to Stefan Diggs. How do they defend Stefan Diggs?
2: Well, the Bengals will shift in cloud that way. Uh, the Bengals right now have, have no issue with number one receivers this year. They've only given up one, 300 yard passer all season. That was garbage time to Tom Brady at the end they've been killed by number two receivers. Like, this is a Gabe Davis game. If he wants to make his American say, hey, playoff Gabe is, is back, I mean, this is the ah. game to do it. They're going to give him those chances, and they're going to shift all that coverage towards, because they when they lost Shadobia Woozie halfway through the year, that was their number one corner, and they would use him to shadow number one. So their defense was a little different. When he went down, it's Eli Apple and Cam Taylor Brett second-round pick out of Nebraska. They know the limitations there. I, I, they feel good at Mike Hilton in the slot, but on the outside, they know they can be beat. But the Bengals have two really good safeties. And spent been a first-round pick on a safety, too, Dex Hill out of Michigan. They love their safeties. They will shade those guys over to where it needs help. And you'll see that now. Jesse Bates with the range at free safety. They'll say, okay, Jesse, go help out wherever side Diggs is on. I think the, B- the Bills' best chance is to get them in the slot. The Bengals will play a middle-of-the-field open defense and say, listen, we want you to throw against our good safeties or our good coverage linebackers. So leave the middle of the field more open for them. I think the Bills should get Diggs in the slot and try and exploit it that way.
0: I feel like this could maybe even be a game where we start to see Cole Beasley look yeah. like Cole Beasley before they brought him back and just like, okay, this is what you're going to give us. We're going to be stubborn and we're just going to take everything that we can in the middle of the field because we know that Diggs is going to kind of be on his own out there. So kind of keeping with that defense, we were talking about the pass rush for the bills in getting after Joe burrow. What is the Bengals' kind of formula for that? Like, how effective are they, and do you think that they can kind of win that matchup against a Bills' offensive line that has been, at least from my viewpoint, very inconsistent this season?
2: Yeah, from a talent perspective, the O line is still middling at best for the Bengals, uh, and then we got it, and that's we, you know pending right tackle, what happens there, but. What they'll do to slow you down is they will be a quick passing offense a large chunk of the time. They'll run a lot of RPOs. They'll run some play action and they'll hand the ball off out of shotgun all enough to make the pass rushers go. Okay. I'm not really sure what's happening on this play. Read run engage. Okay. Now it's time to pass rush balls already out. Bro's very good at deciphering and reading what you're doing. He's he's like a, um, he's like water and he'll find the crack in whatever the defense is. Right. So you just, if it's going to be okay, they're going to blitz from the side and, and relax on the other side. He'll find it and easily get to it and very lightning. It, it'll remind you guys of, and I, I hate to even make this co- uh, comparison, but it'll remind you of, and no one's like this, but prime Tom Brady just I, yeah. quickly. 2.2, 2.2, 2.2, 1.8 seconds. I'm like, it's just bang, 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 bang until you give him one-on-one with Jason and Higgins, and then the protection has to hold up. So it's only a handful of plays a game where it's got to hold up. Yeah. And if you give them one-on-one, but the Bills have played so much cover to this year, I don't expect them to give them that many chances. If It may come down to those couple you get, and then will they be able to exploit it?
0: If Julian Edelman or Wes Welker or Danny Amendola come onto the field, I think everybody, <laughs> everybody will just melt and it will just all end right there.
2: Um, well, the Bengals will put Jamar Chase on the slot, so you may see some uh, of them. He just sees a slippery guy. He's so
0: good. He's so good. We were talking before we had the conversation with you easily top five in the NFL. He's going to be a top three player for a lot. Honestly, if Justin Jefferson wasn't around, you could make the argument he's the best young receiver in the game. And I still think that's closer than a lot of people do.
2: And we got two top five quarterbacks, two top five, number one receivers. And that seems like that's the game now, you know, like in, in the NFL and, you know, I'm a huge Stefan Diggs fan back to the draft. I had a first round grade on him. It goes in the fifth round. I'm like, this guy's going to be a stud. And so like, I only Bill's thing I own is a Savon Diggs uh, Jersey.
1: <laughs> I want to go back to the offense for a minute because as much as they have all this talent, even in the run game, we know of the receivers, they have it. The, the numbers in the run game aren't like overwhelming. Is that just because they do throw so much Joe or um, has it been a bit inconsistent?
2: What's, what's the truth there? The beginning of the year, they thought they could still be what they were last year. And last year, they were an under center, wide zone running team. So when they got under center, especially the first two weeks of the year, this is why they struggled. It was like a 92% clip that they're running the ball, or it would be 92 of run or play action. So rarely drop back. You almost never saw burrow drop back straight out of center. And then under shotgun, it was like a 97% clip of passing the ball. It became way too clear of what was happening. They weren't getting any cover one and cover three with one-on-one on on the outside because defense is like, all right, you're in shotgun. We're not going to give you this. We're going to play cloud coverage. We're not going to watch Jamar Chase go 60 yards over our head. So they struggled because it was too clear what they were doing when they tried to run the ball. They scrapped it. Started to scrap it around week three. That was versus the Jets. That was when they got their first win. It was a slow burn, as it is when anytime you're going to scrap a large chunk of your playbook. And by the time they got to week six, and everything's out of shotgun. I mean, they ran—I want to say whatever game that was. It was 69 of 70 plays were in shotgun. Their run game efficiency got to top five very quickly for in terms of per run. But, you know, they don't aren't going to do it heavy. Mixon had one huge game against the Panthers where we had five touchdowns. Other than that, it's been inconsistent. And it's been inconsistent because they just don't rely on it. Even last week, we're looking at this game like, man, it's freezing in New England. The, snow, the wind's going to be blowing. Maybe this is a game where they lean on the run again. Earl drops back 52 times. <laughs> they just are going to throw it. And because they're getting so much cover too still, their checkdowns are their run game. And you hear that cliche, but they truly believe it. If you want to give them five yards per catch to these running backs, they will take it all day long. Come up and tackle and they'll invite that all day.
0: And for the Bills, tackling has been an issue this year, so that could be a mismatch for the Bengals. Whenever we talk to people who primarily cover another team, it always is a question like, how does that team win? But the Bengals are so good. The Bills and the Bengals, I feel like they're on the same level playing field. So that question feels like it's a waste right now, but do you think the Bengals win like going into this game, or do you think that this is a game that's a tough matchup for them?
2: I think it's a coin flip. I, it's funny. I was talking with another guy earlier today, and he's like, yeah, you know, the last good team the Bengals have played was the Chiefs. And it wasn't to discredit the other teams. Like, they beat, you know, I think the Bills beating the Titans is a good game. The Titans have been tough. The Bengals beat the Bil- the Titans, I mean. And the Titans haven't won a game since. Like, now we kind of discredit those wins. <laughs> right. It's probably because of the plateau these teams are on now. It's the Bengals, Bills, and Chiefs. And anyone else you expect to beat. And, yeah, you could lose those games. We've seen it. We You will drop one here or there. But that's like that. Those are the three good AFC teams. I expect one of those to probably be the representative. I expect two of them to probably be an AFC championship unless something weird happens. So, Yes, I still think it's a coin flip. The the NFL game today is designed to be a one-score game, is it not? You know, no matter who it is, sometimes it's a bad opponent. You're like, how did this happen? It's designed to be a one-score game. The difference in this may just be home team, slight advantage. Maybe they have the possession at the end. Maybe they can turn two possessions by scoring late in the second quarter, getting the ball back in the second half, and turning that into a three-point difference in the game. I think it's going to come down to one possession, who makes the play. The Bengals have been super clutch for a year and a half. Now last two years, whereas we we'll would say knowing the bills and seeing them, they have had their misfortunes late in games at times mm-hmm. uh, where the Bengals have been the exact opposite. Now that doesn't mean it will continue. I don't believe like that, that. Sometimes that's just bad luck or good luck, Yeah, but somehow it keeps running for the Bengals and maybe it will. Like last week in the fumble,
1: obviously yeah. the, the game by the new England Patriots, you know, but you, you force that luck too, if you will. And you make your own luck, I guess. Uh. But you've
2: got to recover. Fumbles are so random. <laughs> That's yes. right
1: too. That's right. Um, one of those ways that maybe one of those things turns is special teams. Give us an idea of what to expect from the Bengals special teams, where they're very strong and where they might, might not be.
2: It's probably the worst special teams the Bengals have had and Darren Simmons, 25 years with the team is their special teams coordinator. And they'll, they brought would be the number one seed right now if they had their long snapper week one. It's the reason they lost to the Steelers. They, <laughs> right. they couldn't get a snap off at the end. They get to overtime. They try a long field goal because you got your tight end snapping the ball and someone thinks that's a good idea. So You can't <laughs> make this one because it goes wide because the snap's terrible. So they've had to deal with that. They did get the top prospect long snapper out of the draft assigned uh, with a college free agent. So they developed him along the way. He's been okay uh, as far as long snappers go. Not that I'm over there grading every long snap he makes. But they also transitioned from Kevin Huber from 20 years of punting into Drew Chrishman, who's a first-year player at Ohio State. And now he's the holder, where like Huber never had a, a bad hold in his career. I think you get some variance a little bit with a young guy and, and Krishman. So now it has affected Evan McPherson, and now he's a little bit shaky. He missed two extra points. They say it's tough in new England. I don't know. The special teams coordinator Darren Simmons this week was like, that's not it. He's got things to work through and he will. Cause they're confident. He's that guy uh, that he'll get, he'll get it right. Uh, but he got to get it right quick. Cause these games are going to get tight for the rest of the year and field goals are going to be big. Can they do it all? Can they win it all? Yeah. I it's the only thing that really gives me pause is like doing it twice or getting there twice. That's so hard. Yes. It is so hard. And if they don't get the number one seat, cause you need the chiefs to lose both, you know, in this scenario for the Bengals uh, you're going to have to play again, the bills and chiefs probably. Yeah. It is so hard to get through both of those teams. Or if you got to get through three, two of these three teams, that is hard. Whoever's got that one seed has a huge advantage here. We saw it last year, the chiefs, Made it through the Bills with 13 seconds left. Couldn't make it through the Bengals in a one, in an overtime same situation. They get intercepted. It is hard to get through both of them. We didn't respect the Bengals enough, and me included, at that time to know that what it was. Now, a year later, we're saying, yeah, we know now why the, the Bengals made it through the way they did. It is tough to make it through two of those teams. Whoever doesn't have to do it has a huge advantage. And, of course, the difference here is if the Bills drop one to the Bengals, drop the game. They're
1: still going to win the AFC East. If the Bengals happen to lose, they're going to still fight maybe for the AFC North because the Ravens are still in play. We'll see how that shakes mm-hmm. out. So, so much is still yet to be determined. The bills can be anywhere from the one to the three. The Bengals can be anywhere from one to the five, right? Yeah. Because of the way it shakes out. I mean, this is a huge game for both teams. In fact, uh, we had um, Charlie Goldsmith who writes for the inquirer on WGR on Thursday on my show, Joe. And he said, People in Cincinnati are calling this the biggest regular season game in Paycor or Paul Brown
2: stadium history. Oh yeah, that's easy. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's funny. They, the Bengals have had their success between 2011 and 2015, five straight playoff appearances. They even went in 09. So, you know, six out of seven years, They were pretty comfortable in most of those years getting to the playoffs. It wasn't, you know, some major hurdle, even 05. They started off 8-0 that year. Or, I mean, not not 05, 2015, I'm sorry. They started off 8-0 that year. They cruised until Andy Dalton got hurt. Uh, There hasn't, even in Monday night history, it's not even just Bengals, I think. we look, Even they said, this has been 30 years since two 11-plus win teams have met up this late. How often? I think we just, I was thinking this the other night when it was the what was it? The Rams and who did they just play? But it was, I was thinking in beginning of the year, this looks like a huge game, right? When Rams get Colts. The schedule, Rams yes, Colts. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I'm like, this looks like a huge game. And now you get there and it's like, this, this isn't fun right. at all. This isn't barely watchable. This is the exact opposite. Not only did we think, yeah, this could be a huge game late in the year. It's huge. Fantasy football championship happens that night. I mean, for most leagues. Ah. you and. And it's not just some random game. You got Burrow, Mixon, Chase, Higgins, maybe Boyd starting for you. You got uh Josh Allen. You got maybe Singletary starting for you. Stephon Diggs, maybe Gabe Davis and Dawson Knoxer There's a lot hinging on that aspect of that of the football world playing in that final game. People are going to be like fans of that guy forever or not based on that performance and then I do think there's a slight talk for MVP what if one of these quarterbacks absolutely shreds it and lights it up yep. and they'll be able to say they beat both Mahomes and Burrow or both Mahomes and Allen and I mean I think that's going to go a long way so in no.
0: my in my fantasy league I've been in it for like 17 years I was talking to Sal about it in our last episode the guys in the championship one has Allen and one has Burrow On Monday night football, like it does not get better than that. That is such a poet. Could you imagine if that matchup is relatively close going into Monday night and you have those two guys, it will be just beautiful television. It's going to be good and it's going to be a great, it's honestly, it should be an outstanding game because these two teams are super, not only are they super good, they're super fun. And that yeah. matters. Like they are fun, fun teams to watch. Even if you're just a casual football fan, these are the two of the teams that you're just watching casually because they're on.
2: Last year, week 17, the Bengals hosted the Chiefs, and you know that uh, that was a big game. We didn't know at the time how good the Chiefs were or the Bengals were until they beat them. But Jamar Chase, so his fantasy football championship, Jamar Chase goes for 271 and three touchdowns, and people were like, "Oh my god, I just won fantasy because of this guy scoring <laughs> 60 points."
1: That's uh, awesome. Hey, uh, all right, anything else from you, Matt? I think we kept Joe a little bit here, so you know we thank him, obviously.
0: Yeah. How'd you become a Bengals fan, or like a Bengals writer, reporter? Like, how does that happen? Like, because if you live in Western New York,
2: yeah, and I've been here my whole life, pretty much. I was born in Tampa, Florida, outside that. Uh, I don't have a good answer. I do. My first football memory is the '89 Super Bowl Bengals running out of Joe Robbie Stadium, and I remember the helmets and going, "Oh my God, that's peak!" You know aesthetic yeah. right there as a kid now I don't remember if that was live because I was—I would only been three years old but I used to watch a lot of NFL films so I must have watched it at some point and it stuck with me and I just stayed with it I guess I'm too loyal because I went through a lot of bad years watching it as a kid but Carson Palmer was drafted in 03 and I was 17 at the time and it's like yeah. Probably a lot of Josh Allen bills fans right now, because you get the franchise guy, you can believe it can happen. You go to the playoffs. It looks fun. Chad Ocho I mean, it it kind of yeah. just stuck.
0: That makes sense. That's a good answer. You said it's not a good answer. That's a very good answer.
2: Love but it. Also in terms of like writing podcasting and covering it's the age of the internet. I don't have to be there. I can watch the film from home. I can do whatever I need to. I can contact people through Twitter and get the information I need. Very cool.
1: Hey uh Joe, thank you so much, man. Always good. Thank to you, Joe. We go back, we go back a long way. I remember having you on the radio when I first got back to Buffalo, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. And yeah, that's right. Saw your stuff out there. So always appreciate you being um, willing to do that. And you know, it's going to be a fun game on Monday night. And I know we're all going to enjoy it in our own way, I guess.
2: Yeah. I'm excited. Maybe I'll see you out there.
1: So. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Joe. It's always game day in Buffalo. Sal Capaccio, Matt Bove. All right, Matt. What is the first bills Monday night football game you ever remember? Uh,
0: you're going to hate my answer, but I'm, yes, it's got to be because it's gut wrenching and you
1: were of that age. That was what? 2006, I think, uh, that was 2000. I got it right here. Seven, October 8th of 2007.
0: Okay. So in 2007, I would have been 14 at that point, I think. Yeah, I would have been 14 at that point. I don't remember any Monday night football games to that prior. I remember a Browns game that was really bad somewhere
1: in that range, but I think that was the next year. I think that was Was They were both very similar. Dallas wins 25-24 in a last-second field goal. Browns win 29-27 on basically a last-second field goal, but then the Bills missed one to win the game there. I think Both those games were – the Cleveland game was incredible back and forth. Was uh, the yeah. was
0: the Patriots game with the Leotis-McKelvin fumble a Monday night game as well? And that was the
1: following year. They had those three losses in back-to-back-to-back to back to back years. You had Dallas, you had Cleveland, and then he had Le- Leotis-McKelvin fumbling on opening Monday night game week one of 2009. 25-24, they lost that one.
0: Yeah, I remember the Dallas game very vividly, and I just remember everybody at school the next day was oh. just like, shocked at what we had witnessed. And the thing that's so interesting about that game, it didn't really matter. Like the bills weren't a good team. It's not like they were trying to chase a playoff spot or anything. I I think they had like one win at that point. So it didn't really have playoff implications or anything. It was just kind of so crushing to see them lose on that big of a stage to that
1: team, the way that they did, which was much of the drought, quite frankly. Yeah. So 25, 24 weird score. They lost two out of three Monday night games to buy that score in a completely heartbreaking fashion to the Cowboys and then the Patriots. And and by the way, those two franchises, right. To beat the bills and just gut wrenching all the way around. Um, I, I would tell you going back, I think I remember when I was really little, like I remember watching a night game, maybe against the Miami dolphins, but not that much of it. The one I really remember the most though was I was 15. It was 1988. The bills had not been, on Monday night football in four years and they were just starting to get good 88 the year they won the division in 88. But before they won the division a month before that, they go to the jets. They pound them 37 to 14 on Monday night football. They hadn't been on Monday night football in a while, 37, 14. They beat the jets. And the reason why I remember that Matt is I was in high school. My brother was a freshman at buff state. And I went to his dorm room and watched the game with him (laughs) and his buddies uh, the first half, at least I think. And then I went home.
0: I think. That's awesome. That's really yeah. cool. Was that the year? I, I know there's going to be some people here who probably hate me asking this question and 88. Didn't something happen where they could have went to the super bowl and then they fell against, was it the Bengals or
1: the Browns? One of those two teams. Yeah. So 88, there's a lot of parallels between 88, 89 and last year and this year. And that is okay. this 88. The bills went on the road <clears throat> in the AFC championship. Lost to the Bengals. Bengals beat them to go to the Super Bowl that year. Uh-huh. Eighty nine. The Bills come back with super aspirations. Go on the road in the divisional round. Lose a heartbreaker at Cleveland. So just like in 21, 20 and twenty one. Yeah, twenty they go on the road in the AFC Championship game and lose the Chiefs. 21 they go on the road in the divisional round and lose a heartbreaker just like in 88 and 89 but what happened after those 88 89 seasons four straight super bowls so we're hoping history repeats itself of course <laughs> with a different ending in the super bowls
0: you know it's funny i never really think about those years just because that all was before i was born and everybody always talks about the four straight super bowls but I don't think that I've ever really thought about like, wow, for those couple years, they were really good, kind of yep. like you said, the parallels to this year. So that makes it that much more impressive because they had this extension. What did they do after the fourth Super Bowl? Did they make to the playoffs and lose in the wild
1: card? Missed the playoffs and then went back to the playoffs the next year and beat the doors off the Miami Dolphins and then wound up losing in the divisional round. So they missed the playoffs after the fourth straight Super Bowl year. In 94 they missed the playoffs. Yes, in 95 they went back to the playoffs.
0: In 94 were they just like not great or did they just kind of get unlucky or was it like uh, was it, it it was kind
1: good. of a it was kind of a little bit of a reset year. They weren't that great. I think teams had kind of caught up to what they were doing in a lot of ways. They played so much football over 4 years, you know what I mean? Um their final record at the end of the year was 7 and 9 in 94. Um yeah, they, I think a lot of things just didn't go right for them. And they go, then they went back in 95, and they go, and that's the year in 95. That was when they went back to um, the playoffs again. They wound up beating Miami in the playoffs, and then they go to Pittsburgh the following year, and they lost in the divisional round to the Pittsburgh Steelers. They got uh, crushed that game 40 to 21. That Miami wildcard game they won, though, was – that was the Tim Tyndale game. You might have heard about that before. Tim Tyndale came back.
0: I have, I have was, heard about that, that actually. That
1: when he had, like – a bazillion yards.
0: I'm glad you talked about what you did. Cause I feel like it's a natural segue into what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode, just how big of a game this is and kind of what it means for the bills moving forward. And l- let's be pretty transparent here. It's a huge win. And it would be a pretty crushing loss if they lose. That doesn't mean that they can't go and win the Super Bowl this year. It just means it's a little bit harder. But, hey, it was never going to be easy anyway. So, yeah, you would like them to have that bye. But I think my tone after this game, depending on what happens, will not be like, okay, you're the one seed because you still got to beat the Patriots. And they could absolutely be fighting for a playoff spot next week. And if they lose, it's not going to be like the sky is falling. This team can't do it. I still think this team can beat anybody. So yeah, you'd have to probably play another, you'd have to play another game and you'd have to go on the road, but I still think they got a chance, not as good of a chance, but they still got a chance. So if they lose this game, it should not be crisis mode. It should just be like, ah, yeah, that's tough. It's going to be a little bit tougher now.
1: Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Um, By the way, Tim Tyndale actually only had 68 yards that game, but a 44 yard touchdown run was what put him on the map. Derek Holmes, Thurman Thomas, Derek Holmes, 87 Yards and Thurman Thomas, a buck 58 in that uh, game against the Miami Dolphins. We were just referencing the, the game in 1995. Thinking about Monday night games, though, the bills have been very good in night games. Overall, Josh Allen is one of the best ever primetime quarterbacks, Matt. I mean, just something about primetime, that Josh Allen and this team led by Josh Allen just perform well. Um, you know, obviously you had the wind game last year against the New England Patriots. And I don't want to, you know, just say it doesn't count but that was a bit of a different circumstance. They did lose the Tennessee 34, 31 in a back and forth affair last year as well. But really otherwise it's Josh Allen and the Bills since he's been aboard. And since they've had this newfound national love and getting these primetime games, he's just been terrific.
0: I very much agree. The one thing I will say, and I don't want to pour water on that argument. It feels like most of the teams, the bills have played in primetime have been teams that they are significantly better than Mm -hmm. except the chiefs last year, but all of the other games, like I'm just thinking about like teams that they've played, like they've played in prime time this year, the Titans, they're way better than the Titans, the Packers, way better than the Packers, the Dolphins. They're better than the Dolphins, not much better, but they're better than the. Well, actually I shouldn't say that they're much better than the Dolphins. The Dolphins aren't to the level that the Bengals are. I guess the point of my argument is I think the Bengals will be the best team that they have played in prime time probably during his entire career, except maybe the chiefs game in 2021. Would you agree with that?
1: Um, yes, I would probably agree with that. I mean, Tennessee was the one seed though, right? They played yeah. that down in Tennessee on Monday night football last year.
0: I, st- I've never thought Tennessee was I, that good.
1: I agree with that. Like, I think it's like paper tigers, right? But they were the one seed.
0: I think the bills going into that game were six and a half point favorites. I think going into this game, they're one and a half point favorites. And it was what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode as well. I think I asked you, I don't exactly remember what the terminology I said was, but I guess my thought is, do you agree that this is the toughest matchup the bills will have faced this season? Like the least, I guess maybe, is it the least confident you are that the bills are going to get a win that you have been this year?
1: Ooh, maybe Uh, that's a good one. I don't know. I, I think you have to go back and think back in LA week one. I don't know how confident I was like one we to the Rams, man. I didn't know the Rams were going to be that good. I don't know. I was really confident for that game.
0: I, I haven't been, I haven't been sold on like three games this year. One of them was the Miami game on Saturday night, a couple weeks ago. And if you've listened to this podcast, yep. you probably know that I think Miami is better than most people. The Ravens game week four. I just never had a good feeling about that game. And then the why am I blanking? There was one other one. I thought they were going to beat the Chiefs. I thought they Baltimore. were going to beat the Rams. No, the Baltimore I mentioned. Miami I mentioned. Oh, um, you know what it was? It was the Minnesota. Games. It was Minnesota. I just for some reason didn't like the Minnesota matchup. I think it was because Josh was banged up. Yeah. Because we didn't know if he was gonna play. I just kind of thought the week was so weird that they were gonna lose. And then they got on the field and I was like, wow, the Bills are much better than Minnesota. I don't think Minnesota's that great anyway. But I was like, wow, the Bills are much better than Minnesota. Then the Bills made a bunch of mistakes and Minnesota clawed their way back in. So that was another game that I wasn't necessarily confident with the Bills in.
1: So if you count if you count the game that the Bills played in the first time. It was moved because of snow back in 2014. Remember in 2014, the Bills had a game moved to Detroit because of snow. That game wound up being played on a Monday night. Mm-hmm. If you count that game. This will be the 50th Monday night game the Bills have ever played. But it oh. doesn't actually count as a Monday night football game. It was a moved Sunday game. Um, so this is the 49th game. Not does Monday the well does the Chiefs game count it does not uh because Monday night meaning seven o'clock or later so but but it wouldn't count anyways it's not a Monday night the actual Monday night football franchise I believe, it, officially yeah. this would be the 49th game I believe
0: yeah I tell people this a lot Monday Night football is a TV show like That's that is correct.
1: the name of the program so it's a if franchise it's the, exactly. Yep. That's right. So I, I agree with you. I think that that that's how you have to treat it. So it is the bills. It is the Bengals. And um, I don't know, Matt, you want to give one more plug for channel seven and what you're going to be having coming up Monday night.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. The game's on channel seven. It is a seven 30 coverage start. We get a pregame show. We'll be outside doing all the stuff, getting ready for kickoff and the game itself, eight 15. It's going to be a good one. Maybe one of the best games of
1: the year. It'll be fun. And of course you can hear all the coverage on WGR sports radio 550 and along the Buffalo bills radio network. By the way, Matt, one more, one more thing we're supposed to have pretty good weather. It's going to rain in Cincinnati Monday night, but sources have told me rain hopefully and likely holding off until after the game.
0: All right. Good. Cause I'm kind of
1: sick of weather having impact yeah, me on Bills too. games. Me too. I'm sick of uh, being on the sidelines with it. All right. Thanks for downloading, subscribing, throw us a nice uh, review and like our podcast and all that neat stuff over on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you pod for Matt. I'm Sal. Thanks for tuning into it's always game day in Buffalo. We'll talk to you next week as the bills prepare for the finale against the new England Patriots.